If you or a loved one has a hoarding problem, let's work together on a solution. All right. Thank you for joining us on the Hoarding Solution podcast. I'd like to welcome our guest today, uh, Richard Kaufman, who is the comeback coach. He is a military veteran and has quite the success story uh, and journey that he has been on. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I know we've been talking about doing it for a long time since you're on my show. So now let's just have some fun. I'm really happy that we made this connection and I want to encourage people to keep going even when, when technology does not cooperate. <laughs> yeah. So tell us a little bit about you and, um, you know, just your experience in life. Okay. Uh, well, quick down and dirty. Uh, um, I grew up poor. Father left at, uh, three months I was three months old my father left um my mother she left my my he left my mother with uh a newborn child a house payment to make, to make car payments and uh so she so we grew up uh, pretty poor and um and then my mother became part of the hoarding she had a major hoarding issues, um, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, major uh, alcohol uh, alcohol issues, um, which she's clean now. Over, uh, I think she's over 25 years sober. So, and she doesn't she doesn't um, hoard anymore. So, that's a good thing. But uh, grew up, um, we moved to a lot of different places. Um, never made friends or anything like that. So, by the age, I, by the time I got to High school, I went to like 10 or 12 different schools. Um, had my first taste of alcohol about the age of uh, 11 or 12, 13. I was a full-blown alcoholic. Dropped out of school when I turned 16. Joined the military. Uh, joined the military. I turned 17. I, I shipped a little while later. Uh, became a drug addict and an alcoholic and got thrown out of the military after two years. Came home, um, dabbled in a lot more alcohol, a lot more drugs. Promised my mom I'd go back to school, um, but little did I tell her that I was going to be school to be a bartender. That's not a good thing. And uh, I graduated top of the class in bartending school. And my first job was uh, New Year's Eve, 1988, and uh, it was a friend of mine's bar. He's a police officer. He owned the bar. And um, he asked me to come bartend. I came bartending. Um, everything was going good. Everything was smooth. I started drinking. Um, woke up the next morning with sounds of policemen at my door. I robbed the place. With, I had like $5,000 cash in my pocket. And I gave away like two or $3,000 worth of drinks away for free. Wow. Um, so that's, yeah. So, and I was uh, just turned 20. So the police officer came to the door with his friends and he said, you know what? He says, you're too young to be able to go to, you know, go to jail. So he says, I'm going to give you a chance. Um, you have to give me the money back within 24 hours and you have to go to, your, go to um, 90 meetings in 90 days at AA. 
So my parents, my aunt and uncle helped me come up with the money. Um, I paid them back, obviously. And instead of going to 90 meetings in 90 days, I hit like 300 meetings in a row. And I haven't had a drink since January 1st, 1989. So I've been sober that long. No drugs, no alcohol. Um, Then after that, um, I rejoined the military. Um, How I did that, I don't have a clue, but they let me back in. I still had an attitude. Um, I had a bad attitude. And they were due to throw me out of the uh, Pennsylvania National Guard. Moved to South Carolina. Same thing followed. I had a bad attitude. Um, And when you move down to South Carolina, as somebody from New Jersey, uh, they don't like you as it is. And then if you have a bad attitude, it's even worse. And um, they were going to throw me out again for a second time. Um, And I was due to be discharged because I got busted uh, from E4 to E1. And I got busted for missing a movement and um, for going to uh, drill. So they were going to throw me out on the end of September 2001. And uh, something happened, um, as everybody, well, not everybody knows, but I grew up in New Jersey. Um, Where I sit right now, we can actually see where the um, Twin Towers were. And... um, Uh And something happened to me on that Tuesday morning. Um, I was, as I was watching it happen, um, we all knew people that, we, that uh, were in the buildings. And something broke in me, and I became a, a broken man, they say. And, um, I, and I asked the Lord, I said, you know, um, I know I haven't spoken to you in a lot of years. I said, but uh, if, if I can get back in the military... I want to dedicate the rest of my life and my career to helping others that can't help themselves. And the next day I had a meeting with the company commander and the first sergeant and they've all heard my BS before they all heard never going to do it again. And I'm not going to get in trouble again, but they said they seen something in me that day. And thank God they, they let me stay in. And I, uh, I finished with over 20 years in the military. Um, I became a net non-commissioned officer. I won soldier of the year. And then uh, moved to New Jersey, and um, my first annual training in New, in New Jersey National Guard. We were heading out to um, annual training, and I uh, one of the vehicles broke down, so we had to recover it off the side of the highway. And I was backing up a young private in a, in a Humvee, and for some reason, I never wore my helmet. This this day, I did. Um, instead of him hitting the brakes, he hit the gas. He ran over my whole right side of my body and, uh, ran over my head and I became blind in in my, uh, my left eye. And, uh, so after that, I lost my vision in my left eye and, uh, the military told me, well, since you can't shoot, you can't serve. So I lost my career that I worked so hard for. So not only on the same day, well, not the same day, but at the same time, I lost my vision, and then I lost my career. And then, um, so I was on a podcast with somebody we all know, uh, Donnie Boyvin, Success mm-hmm. Champions Podcast. And I was telling him about, you know, what I did in my, in my 
because I, I did at one time, I ran a very successful general nutrition center, personal trainer, stuff like that. And I worked with a lot of guys from professional athletes. And I was telling Donnie my, my front story. And he's like, no, dude. He's like, I want you to tell my back, your backstory. Because people need to hear, hear story of resilience, people that are coming back. And that's how I became uh, the comeback coach. That's how I came on so many shows and uh, just helping people come back. And then 90 days ago, um, I was running a million-dollar store. I was getting ready to open up a gym. And uh, I, it was, I have high, high, high blood sugar. Um, my, I became blind in my right eye. And now I'm pretty much uh, legally blind in uh, both my eyes. And uh, so I, I grieved for about 90 days. And then I've had friends like you, Mark Dudek, you know, I, my amigos, they're like, dude, you need to get back to helping people. And that's, that's where I'm at right now. So that, that's, that's what's going on in my life. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to be here and to talk about your story because, I mean, Donnie is right. You know, people need to know that we are resilient and that we can overcome a lot of BS. Um, in our lives, and um, I was on Donnie's podcast too. It's been probably a couple years now, but um, it, it's funny when you start talking with someone, the things that you don't think you're going to talk about start coming out. I think depending on who you're discussing it with, and um, I would say that he is a large reason why I started to understand how important the backstory is and how valuable that is for people to know they aren't alone in some of those struggles. It's amazing is that, you know, even like one of my mentors is um, Dr. Robert Garcia, the warrior strategist. Um, even, you know, he always says that, you know, everybody has a story, you know, no matter who you meet in the world, somebody has a story. And sometimes it's just us coming out there and putting our story out there where somebody might be listening and be like, you know what? if he can get through all this crap, so can I, you know, so it's kind of like, I think sometimes, you know, God gives you these struggles to go through for a reason to help other people. And, you know, a, a Dr. Garcia has been instrumental in me recognizing the importance of talking about hoarding issues and recognizing that there are so many people who are impacted by this in some way. Um, it's just truly been astounding to me how many people need a little bit of space to tell their story and how we kind of don't allow that sometimes in our relationships. We don't allow people to um, tell their story, you know? You know, and then I started thinking, you know, because we talked yesterday, when I talked to my mom, I was like, you know, Ma, what, what caused you to become a hoarder? And if you don't mind me talking about it um i'm happy to if, if she's good with it <laughs> yep that's why i asked for permission she's like she said well since i'm the reason she got sober she said it's okay to talk about things um <laughs> but um when my when my father left and uh my mother asked my grandmother to move in with her and my grandma my grandmother said well you made you bed you lie in it and my mother you know she had to start um, taking care of me, you know, and as a, a newborn infant with no 
no father in that, you know, one person. So she started getting angry and then she started working a lot. Um, and then she, she started telling me that, you know, because she was so angry and she felt like, even though when she was a kid, she felt like she was um, poor because she grew up poor too. So this is an intergenerational thing mm -hmm. that she would just stock up on like, you know, instead of buying two bottles of soap, you have like 50 bottles of soap. You know, instead of buying two bottles of shampoo, there was 50 bottles of shampoo. And I can remember when I was a child, you know, seven or eight years old, looking, you know, going through the cabinets and there's stocked, stocked full of crap is what I call it, crap. Because <laughs> how much toothpaste do you need, you know? And, uh, and my, you know, and as my mother said, is when it got to that point, is there was stuff hiding everywhere under the beds, into the cabinets and everything. And this bad thing, I think, was here we go. She would say, well, we can't afford to go to the park that day or go to do something because she spent all her money on hoarding. And it was just kind of a weird way that, you know, you say you don't have enough money to do things with your kids. But meanwhile, in your dresser, there's eight dresses with the tags on it you've never worn, you know? And she said, you know, and when she finally got sober, she went to uh, a, a group called Debtors Anonymous. And, um, and they taught her that, you know, you don't have to live that way anymore. And she's been, like I said, she got clean and sober I mean, probably 25 or 27 years ago. So, you know, and I think, like, um, I wanted to talk about is, you know, we talked about trauma and I have a theory, you know, as you know, I've interviewed a lot of people on the, on the, the Monday and I come back mm -hmm. and I've read a lot, you know, and I've talked to a lot of people and I find that people that act out as adults, it's because something that happened between the ages of three and 11, you know, I, cause my theory is when we're born, you know, we're born perfect. You know, we don't, we're not born with biases. We're not born with hate. We're not born with any of that. And then some, some time between the ages of three and 11, somebody breaks us, breaks something in us. And if, and then it's something that people live with from the ages, you know, from three to 11, from all the way up to being an adult. And that's when they act out. So if you find people that have gone through trauma, it's usually between, you know, those, you know, eight years, if you really go back, you'll find out, you know, that it, you went through that. But, the, you know, the biggest thing I'm coming out is, okay, you know, you went through the trauma, but if you get to accept that it's not your fault, you know, you didn't, it wasn't your fault. You know, it wasn't my fault that my father left me. You know, it wasn't my fault that my mother was an addict. And once you learn to accept that, okay, it's not my fault, then you can start having that healing process. But if you don't accept the, if you don't accept that it's not your fault, then you're not going to start healing at all. And that's the thing is we internalize whatever it is and we blame ourselves for everything it seems like. And there's this incorrect sense of guilt, I think, and shame that we carry around uh, because of that, you know, and 
when you're in an environment that feeds that, that's what you come to believe that you're not worthy and that people don't like you and you don't have friends because of something you did. Um, and that's really hard to, to overcome that. And I, I saw a video recently around um, the level of trauma in people that are in prison. And so much can be attributed to the trauma they experienced, whether it's verbal or physical, uh, sexual assault. I mean, there's so many things that can happen to kids in a young age, and then you're shamed into not talking about it, not uh, sharing about it, and you take that belief forward. And it's so, it's so damaging to your psyche, I think, when yep, that's you know, the belief. Yeah, and I definitely believe it. Like, and like it was something I wrote in my book. Two things that really affected me is, and I can still remember to this day is, um, my mother would say, "Well, you're 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 going to be just like your father. Mm. You're going to be a loser just like your father." Or, or then she, you know, she used to say, "Well, um, I didn't want a boy. I wanted a girl." Mm. So you know, when you start feeling like, okay, you weren't wanted from the get go. Or that, you know, well, since my father was a screw up, I guess I'm going to have to be a screw up, you know? So some of those things that you, you hear from people, even as kids, sometimes it, you know, it, that tape, it just keeps playing over and over and over in your head, even when you're 35, 40, 50 years old. And that you know? interrupt, it, you have to figure out how do you interrupt that negative message? And I, I remember um, my mom saying to me, I can't wait to see you fall on your face. And I, I was a teenager and I'm sure I was snarky and whatever because I had my own room. I was blessed in the horde to have my own room and I wouldn't let anyone put their stuff in my room. And so not only was I a teenager, now I was like, your crap's not coming in here. And so I'm sure her comments stem from some teenage attitude that I had mm -hmm. but it stuck with me for so long that my attitude was I will not fail and it took me years to go oh what if I change that and just say I will succeed you know instead of that I will not fail because like in boot camp years ago um, I went in with the attitude I will not fail um, because I felt like I had no nowhere to go, I had to I had to succeed because I had no other option. And but it wasn't from a positive place; it was from a negative place. That the last thing I'm going to do is fail, you know. Um, and so it's amazing how those words can you just carry that around, like you're saying, and that's what you keep replaying. And and eventually, you have to change those tapes. You know, you got to. You've got to figure it out. Yeah. Otherwise, you, the, there's a lot of truth in hurt people hurt people, you know? Yeah. And But I also see where healing yourself helps other people heal. And But I don't think you're ever completely healed. I think you're always on a, a journey. You're always on the next thing. You're always trying to figure out um, your comeback. And I love your, your name, the comeback coach, because I mean, 
look at all the things you've overcome to be where you are now and have a loving family and have your kids in your life. And, uh, you know, at some point you had to change the tape. Yeah, and, you know, but I think a lot of it is, um, it was like when I wrote my book two, two years ago, it was, it was a very cathartic because I had to write everything that I've ever done wrong. Mm. And I had to call people because, you know, I was like, listen, I'm, I'm too drunk. I was too drunk to remember this, you know, <laughs> mm. so could you just, you know, tell me what I did or I had to, you know, call people and just ask for forgiveness or I had to forgive others. And I think that's the biggest, the biggest thing I think is forgiving others. And then the biggest, biggest thing was forgiving yourself because, you know, once you forgive yourself, then, you know, you can start living that life again. You drop that baggage. But if you keep on continuing carrying the baggage, it's just, you, you'll never win. You can't win. And I think I've recently been looking at it, books that I've had on my shelf that I haven't read. And, you know, I've been staring at my stuff, right? Because I'm in my house. And so it's forced me to kind of go through some of the things I haven't looked at in a while. And, you know, I'm just reminded that, um, that you have to take the time to reevaluate and you have to look at, is this broken record right? Um, or tape, I'm aging, dating myself, right? Records, tapes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you have to change out what you're doing if, if you want a different result. And I think um, deciding that you are worthy of forgiveness, the, deciding that you are worthy of good things, um, good experiences, quality people. I mean, I think that's a shift that you make somewhere along the line in your own recovery process, um, whether it's whether it's drugs or alcohol or other negative things or behaviors or thoughts. I mean, at some point you have to decide that you want something different. And once you decide that, then you can start asking for forgiveness, writing your book, connecting with other people. But what I've really been reminded of this week is it is a lot about a decision um, every day about how you are going to show up, how you're going to talk to other people, what boundaries you put in place so that mm -hmm. they aren't talking to you negatively. And <coughs> I, I would say, especially in hoarding situations, you kind of don't have good boundaries sometimes. You don't have your own space or your own Well, I think a lot of, the, I think I always say that the three biggest words in the English language are today I decided. Yes. Once you decide, and I think that's one thing about this whole COVID-19 is this whole world is on, is due for, is due for a reset. Everything is being reset. So it's, you can either take this time for positiveness or you can take this time, you know, for the negative. And I've decided to choose to take this time to uh, reset my life and my mindset over these last, you know, whatever it is, 90 days. It's been very surreal to, to be at home, but it's given, at least for me personally, given me so much time to be like, oh, I haven't read this book. Hmm, maybe I should try playing my accordion. I know it's weird, but yeah, I learned how to do that <laughs> when I was a kid, you know? Um, and taking that time to reset in a positive way. And 
I know in the beginning you were talking about 9-11 and honestly for me that was a huge shakeup in my own life um, when that happened and I remember the silence above the skies where I live no military aircraft you know everything was grounded after that happened and people complain about the noise and I say you know I remember the deafening silence after 9-11 I would rather hear the planes overhead because mm -hmm. it means we didn't give up, you know, as a society that we're still standing. And I, and for me now seeing this COVID-19, to me, this is another one of those pivotal shifts that we're seeing that people are either going to come out better and stronger or more angry and unable to cope. And I think now is a pivot point for a lot of people to... Well, what they were saying is like during the 2008 crash, um, suicides and uh, alcoholism and drug addiction, overdoses uh, went up by 50%. Mm. And so, so the same things are happening today that happened back then. You know, but as far as people like me and you go, this is just... There's like 30 million people now that are going to be struggling. So right. that's just more people, you know, that we get to help. And you know, so you can either take it from the negative mindset or you can take it to the positive mindset. Mm -hmm. You know, everything, you know, like one of my, um, one of my guys, his name is Ed Milet, and uh, he has the number one podcast in the world. And um, he talks and his one of his favorite saying is something I adopted to adopted also is um, that things they don't happen to you, everything happens for you, and that God will never waste a hurt. So if you know whatever happened to me in my past, it's happened for me, and not to me. So That's... now I'm, you know, and once my once my mindset has changed to that, you know that whatever happens in my life is happening for me it's not happening to me and i can accept that you know and I, now i just have to look into saying you know the whys you know because once i figure out my why i figure out my how and that's so true i kind of have a i kind of joke about it but <clears throat> it, i say it takes a lot of fertilizer to grow a garden and i, I just find that that learning I'm still learning. I'm not sure that I'm 100% there, <clears throat> that there is a purpose for the pain. There's a reason why we go through these things. And um, it's, that can be hard to accept, I think, when you're going through it. But now when I look in retrospect at my life, I can see that, okay, maybe there was a purpose for me to go through that. And I think if you accept that at some point, it opens the door for empathy for other people. Um, I think I was raised to be very judgmental and in a religious environment. And I see some of my writings from that time frame, and I was very much indoctrinated in that. Uh, but now I'm like, after everything that I've gone through in the last 20 some years um, and survived and good and bad, um, I can see that there was a purpose 
for it and that somehow that allows me to be empathetic to other people's situations and um i see so many people in situations because of trauma whether it's drug alcohol use uh, homelessness hoarding um broken family relationships mm -hmm. i mean people in jail and prison there's so much underlying trauma that some days I, I'm overwhelmed by what I perceive as the level of work needed to help these people overcome their trauma, not only for themselves, but also for other people. You know, sometimes you, you lose access to so many things if you haven't dealt with your own trauma. Yeah, well, you know, like my tagline is, um, everybody loves a comeback story, today's your day. Mm -hmm. And I believe that um, there's such thing as generational curses, but it doesn't have to be that way because now you can change and you can create generational blessings. You know, you know what I'm saying? So you don't have to accept, you know, whatever happened in the last 50 years from today on, you can decide, you know what, today I'm changing. It's, I, I, woke, I woke up one way, but I'm going to go to sleep another way. And it's all about that decision and that choice. And I think that awareness uh, that you can choose different, that it doesn't have to be the same that it was. You don't have to replay the negative messages to your own kids or the people around you. You don't have to take all that negative energy and keep putting it out there. I mean, when this first uh, pandemic thing happened, you know, there's that sense of panic, like, what am I going to do? This job isn't there now, you know, and, and I can't say I didn't feel that, but I just started to channel it into what can I, okay, I, I feel this, I acknowledge it, but how can I channel it into something good? You know, can I move my podcast forward? Should I write more? Um, who can I connect with? And just shifting that energy into positive movement um, has helped a lot as far as, and I see that for a lot of people where choosing that positive forward momentum over fear is what's shifting their yeah. situation, their mindset, if you will. Well, like when I first got sober in 1989, when I went to my first meeting that day, um, the, the guy that sponsored me said, once you realize that you're powerless over whatever situation you're in, that's when you actually gain your power. And I've, you know, I've really thought that in my life, you know, even with this COVID-19, it's like, okay, if I'm powerless, I, I can't control it no matter what. So now I just have to accept it. And now I have to figure out ways to excel, even though I don't have power over it. But right. I have power over me. I have power over me and my decisions and my actions and the words that come out of my mouth. And um the things that i do and how i show up you know and and there's something really i had someone tell me recently that you know well it's your fault and i started to think about that at first i was kind of pissed off like but i started thinking about it, i'm like right you're right it is my fault but that means if the bad things are my fault and I'm taking action, then doesn't that also mean I get to own the good things? And so mm -hmm. there was this kind of moment where I was like, oh, I'm free either way. 
either way, whether I make bad decisions or good decisions, depending on your perspective, either way, I'm in, I'm responsible for that. And so, well, I, well, like the author of the book, 10X, 10, 10X, he says, once you make the decision that everything in your life from now on is your fault and there's nobody to blame anymore, that's when you become free because whether you win or you lose, it's your fault. So you and I've on. heard you talk about that too. And it, it has come into my mind. I'm like, well, Richard talked about this whole thing. And, and, I, and at first you listen to it and you're like, wow, that's kind of disturbing. But then you start to, to think about all the things that you have been responsible for without realizing it. And um, I mean, even like getting to uh, Military Influencer Conference last year where I actually got to meet you and Mark and Rob and so many other people that um, propelled me forward that made me go, oh, I'm not playing big enough. Um, you know, it, all of those things were a decision, you know? And so uh, whether I win or lose or fail or not, you know, there's always these decisions that are going on in the background. And I think once we start to recognize that that's true, then we can start shifting what we're doing, what we're thinking about. Yeah. So even like, you know, concerning the hoarding, you know, um, mm -hmm. you can, today you can decide to say, you know what, I don't have to buy that stuff anymore. Why am I buying that stuff? Why? Why do I need 50 bottles of shampoo? You right, know, and, especially and then, if I already have 50 at home. Do Just because it's a sale, and I've found myself doing this, oh, look, that's on sale. Uh, so yeah. what? Do you need it? <laughs> and then you'll start thinking about, you know, if you can start looking at your past and figuring out what trauma that you're actually dealing with, then you can actually realize, well, I don't need that stuff to fulfill me. It's just stuff. It's things. You know, you're, you're not, you know, you're not taking anything with you when you go. Exactly. Here. There is no U-Haul behind the hearse. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's just not happening. And the other thing is, is just because it's important to you doesn't mean your other people in your life are going to want it, you yeah. know? And learning to, how to detach from some of that now while you have something I talk about with my clients is right now you have the choice of what happens with that stuff. If you're not here, you no longer have the control over those decisions. Someone else is going to decide that for you. And I think it helps people recognize they could do something a little different sometimes. But the other part of that is they have to be ready to face their demons, their issues. And in truth, hoarding is about trauma and there's just layers of trauma. And that's how they're filling a void of whatever it is. And um, that's why forced cleanouts are so hard and don't necessarily work because that yeah. person has to be ready to deal with those underlying issues. Or else you're just going to buy more stuff. Right. Yeah. And refill it faster. People will be like, oh my gosh, it took us six months to clear it out and it took them two months to fill it back up. Right. Because that's their trauma response. That's what they do. And unless they're able and willing to look at their underlying issues, they're just going to repeat that behavior. You know, and like somebody told me, I don't remember who told me, but somebody, I think it might have been at Mick, but they were saying that self-awareness is an M effort. That once you become self-aware, there's no more excuses. 
you know, once you become self-aware of what you're doing, then it's your choice from that point on. You know, if, if you speak too loud, you, maybe you've been doing it your whole life until somebody says, hey, you talk too loud. You know, and once you become aware of it, then you decide, okay, maybe I need to calm it down a little bit. But once you realize that, you know, being too loud bothers people and you keep doing it, well, then that's a purposeful act. It's your fault. And that self-awareness is so key in so many ways as far as, you know, if you're trying to get a job or if you're starting a business or if your sales aren't going the way you want, you know, or connecting with people at some point, are, are you part of the issue? You know, are you evaluating how you're interacting because um, you can be contributing to those problems and not know it? Yeah. And I think, you know, it, the way you act is the way people act towards you. You know, if you're always nasty, you know, if you're always angry, you know, people are not going to want to be around you. And I think people get upset. Well, why aren't people being around me? Well, because you're nasty, you know. But once somebody tells you, listen, you're nasty. And if you know, if somebody already told you, then you need. If you don't change it, then that's your fault. Like, I got a question for you. I got a question right. for you. Now, with ho this whole hoarding thing, how have people been hoarding since this whole? can't go outside and can't do anything. I kept wondering about that. I got to ask you that question. So well, order from Amazon. It's kind of interesting because like there was, it was kind of a joke, but also true. Like people were like getting toilet paper like crazy. And it's like, what's with the toilet paper? But it, then if you look at the statistics, like more people are at home, right? So you do technically need more of some of those resources if your kid is not at school and you're not at work, everybody's home using this yeah. stuff. Yeah. But I, I heard someone else explaining it too, where there's kind of like, and I look at it this way too, there's kind of like this situational hoarding where you might not be able to leave your house for a couple of years, so you are trying to stock up, which is different than, but I would say the pre-existing hoarding where There's a difference in 
in those types of things um, as far as people who actually need stuff versus people who, who don't. And, but it, it's kind of really brought all this to the forefront. The other part of that is people who might have had a hoarding issue haven't had to stare at their space or confront it. They're always running off to work or doing some other activity. And so now you're sitting in your space going, what is all this crap? Why do I have it? I can't do anything. And I do see people deciding that they're sick of it and um, actually taking small actions to clear a space or do something. And um, now the issue is how do you get rid of it? Because <laughs> if it's good items, you know, thrift shops aren't accepting donations. They aren't open. Um, and then do you really want to put it in the trash if it is something someone else could use? I mean, mm -hmm. there's, there is that struggle there. So um, it, there's a difference in mindset is what I see. Um, and if you are already traumatized in some way, this could cause you to even be more traumatized. Um, but, you know, most of us want to have a little bit stored up. And if you, you don't have that ability, that's really scary, you know? Well, thank God for my wife. She's, she's awesome. So she, we have everything we need. Thank God for her. So. She, I, I've only recently connected with her, but I, I was just like, wow, look, at, she's amazing. Just yes, from she's on point. Uh, totally on point with everything she's doing. And that's just, that's phenomenal. And I'm happy that, that you have each other and you have that support. And I think that's a good example of how marriage is supposed to operate. You know, you have each other's back and, yeah. and it's not 50, 50 ever. I think it's like 150, 150. <laughs> But, you know, and it depends on the day, you know, like some days she might be not feeling well. So I got to mm -hmm. step up my game. Right. So some days that we have to go out and I can't see anything. So she's got to give 150%. Mm -hmm. but, you know, it's all depends on the day. And, and I think that awareness right there in relationships is key, is understanding that the expectation that someone's always going to give 100 50% is unrealistic. You know, you kind of have to have that ebb and flow. Um, and unfortunately, since all this has happened, uh, I've had to become more humble than I was before. Uh, <laughs> you know, and it's become when you can't see, um, you can become very, very humble. You know, so but and I think that's one thing, you know, even with people like yourself, and me is, you know, when they see us on, on Facebook or they see us live, uh, they know that, you know, we're the same people that you see on camera that you're going to see outside, you know, because sometimes you, you, and I've seen this even when, uh, when I went to certain events, there were certain people that you would meet and you would think, oh man, they're the nicest people when they're doing their Facebook lives and you're doing their shows and then you meet them and you're like, it's not what I expected. I, yeah, I yeah. totally get that. And I personally feel like I've worked very diligently to become just one me. And mm -hmm. you can have, you know, variations, but 
I think it's so valuable when you show up authentically, no matter where you are. And I will say definitely at, at Mick, when I think about that, that the people I met there were exactly who they were, no matter what. And that was just outstanding um, to, to meet that level of authenticity. And well, like I told everybody before we went, I'm like, listen, you're all getting hugs. And <laughs> even when I went up to certain people and I gave them hugs, and I mean, some of these guys were like Navy SEALs. They're like, uh, I said, well, I told you I was going to give you a hug. I said, because that's <laughs> who I am. And even like I went up to Annette, Annette Wittenberger, gave her a hug, and she's like, Richard, you know, she's like, wow, you're the same person you are when you're on live on camera. I was like, because that's who we're supposed to be. And that's how people can relate to us, people like us, because, you know, we're not, we're not saying that we're something that we're not. And Annette also, she was like, she was like, Tammy. And I was like, Annette, it was so, um, and she's doing great things too around trauma and talking about mm -hmm. all the things that are going on. And um, it just, it was so rewarding to meet people that are so on point and so aware and so ready to serve. And I just, I am so honored to know so many of these people that are working hard to overcome their own battles, but also using that to help other people. And I, um, I did not get a lot of sleep on that journey, <laughs> just with the time zone. Um, somehow I was blessed enough to get enough sleep in those pockets of time to just keep showing up for everything. And, and the funny thing is all the people that went to that diner that night, those are the people that I've become my tribe. Mm -hmm. You know, and it was kind of weird. It's like, and all we did was have dinner and break bread and talk and BS. But you know, that, those are the people that I've become more like family than friends, you know? Yes, that smaller little group. And I was in a, earlier today, I was in a group and we were talking about how kind of like the more you rise, the smaller your circle gets. Yeah. And, and I think it's true because you're looking at it from a different perspective. You're looking at, you know, can I support them? Are they supporting me? And are we, are we aligned with being positive and using our, our things for good? And, um, I've been thinking about this too the last couple of days that it's not about the amount of things. It's about the, the quality, the quality of your relationships, the quality of the people that you know. And even if your circle is a little smaller, is it more quality? Is it more aligned with who you are and the direction you want to go and the people you want to help? You know, how is that aligned for you? Well, I mean, I, I, and I've heard it said before that, you know, I'd rather have four shiny quarters and a hundred dirty pennies. <laughs> and it's kind of like, you know, even when you start, even if you're in the hoarding space or not, I mean, even if you are a hoarder or if you're an alcoholic, is that once you start going for help, if you start hanging out with the winners, they're going to eventually win. Right. It's, it's, yeah. it's shifting your, your environment, your mindset and your environment. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like you're, you're helping so many people dealing with stuff that 80, 90% people have never really heard about, but they know everybody that's doing it. 
It's amazing how many people will tell me, I mean, I can say two sentences and all of a sudden someone's telling me about their experience as a kid, their parent, their neighbor, their friend, someone they tried to help. Um, and all of a sudden now you've got all these people leaning in to tell their story about it. And I was like, well, where are we going to tell this? You know, more people need a space to come forward if they choose to talk about it. And um, I, I've had some amazing people step into this space and say, okay, I'm going to talk about it. And so I am very grateful for the people who, who are willing to do that and who are willing to talk about how they've survived life and are thriving now. So I'm very thankful that you took the time to, to be here today and talk about this. And it's what friends are for. And if, you know, if I can help somebody, you know, cause like I tell everybody, you know, I've come back from drug addiction, alcoholism, alcoholism, homelessness, PTSD, a traumatic brain injury, um, blindness. So, you know, you can always come back. You know, everybody loves a comeback story, you know, and you, you're just, the, you're, it's your time now. You know, you know, there's people like myself and there's people like you and Annette, and, you know, there's people even like Kurt or Mark that are going to be there for you. And it's free. You don't have to pay anything. We're here for you just to help. Cause like I tell people, you know, I've been sober, I guess it's so 30 something years. The more I help people stay clean, the better I stay clean. So the more I help you, I get more out of it than I think the people do. Right. And I think people, once you start to give in that way, you start to realize how valuable that is. It's not, I mean, sometimes I almost feel like it's self-serving and that's not the intent. You know, your intent is to help people. And it's that whole idea where sometimes the giver is blessed more than the recipient, you know, and yeah. you don't even, you're not even trying. It's just the way it, it goes. Yeah, like when I put out my book, and um, it was funny when I wrote my book, and I, I had people coming out of the woodwork, and they're like, am I in a book? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, what'd you say about me? What did I do? Uh, can't tell you. You'll but, get uh, to read about it. <laughs> but it was uh, great because it was giving, like, you know, when I sold my book, and any money I make from my book, it goes to help. I make no money off of it. But it goes to help. Um, it's called Joint Task Force 22 to Zero. It helps with people that are struggling with depression, um, first responders, police officers. So you know, whatever I do now, you know, from two years on forward, it's going to be to help other people. It's not about me. It's always about helping others. You know, creating. Because when I met Gary V, we had lunch together about two years ago. I said, Gary, give me something that I can take today. And he's the one that started the comeback coach. Um, but he said, you know what? Your legacy will always be more valuable than your currency. Hmm. And he's like, take that. And if you have that thought in everything you do, then your whole, your whole world is going to change because it's no longer about you. Absolutely. So how do people, what are you doing now? How do people reach out to you or connect with you or find your book? Well, my book is on, it's, it's on Amazon right, right now. Uh, it's been on Amazon Kindle about two years. I'm so blessed. It's got nothing but five-star reviews. Um, 
it's only 99 cents. So if you can't afford a book, then you have a real issue. And the whole, and all the money goes to uh, Joint Task Force 22 to zero. It's, uh, the book is called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light by Richard Kaufman. Um, and right now, you know, being blind, um, thank God I met this hot chick. Her name is Siri. She's on my phone like every five minutes. So I'm like, Siri, I need help. And my wife's like, you found another wife. I was like, yeah, well, Siri actually helps a lot out. So if people want to get in touch with me, they could text me because Siri will actually, actually read back all my texts. And that helps out a lot. So um, Facebook, they can follow me, Richard Kaufman. I do a Monday, still do a Monday Night Live. It's called the Monday Night Comeback. Um, I've been told I have to do them because people are getting mad that I wasn't doing them again. Um, and they can just reach out to me, you know, so like I said, through my, uh, you have my phone number and they can call me, they can uh, text me. There's no unlimited, they can do, you know, get in touch with me with however they want. And, um, I'm also available for public speaking. I also getting my, my show started again, trying to figure out how to do that. So any way I can help, um, my, to help out anybody that's struggling with addiction, um, depression, anything like that, it's always free. There's anything I do is for free. It's always to help other people. Well, I appreciate all the encouragement and support you have given me. And, um, you know, you were talking about, it's all the about that napkin that we wrote on. That's right. It, it all started with the napkin in the diner. And now yeah. here we are actually talking on a podcast. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal what a few months can do and what a few quality people and conversations can can turn the tide. You know, it's been amazing. Yeah. So I oh, think it's not, if anybody wants to find out what I've done in the past, they could just hashtag the comeback coach and it'll come up on all my social media, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, LinkedIn, Twitter, anything I've ever done, it'll come up with that hashtag. Awesome. So hashtag the comeback coach. And that's what Gary V told me to do. So I did. it. That's interesting. I've started to, to do my, the ones that I've created, you know, I've been using that on a lot. Um, hashtag A-K-O-P-T-H and hashtag Y-L-I-T-H. And it's funny because now I'm like, I wonder what will come up and like things from two years ago are coming up with that hashtag. So it's really awesome that you're doing that. And when I think of you, that's what I think of. Richard, oh, the comeback coach. Yeah, so, and it's free. And it's free. And it's amazing. And your insights are so valuable and needed, especially. Well, you know, it is. And also because, you know, Robert Garcia, um, he always talks about, you know, your brand, you know, mm -hmm. be your brand, you know, be right. who you are. And, and hopefully when people think about coming back, they'll think about me. Just like when they, you know, think about hoarding issues, you know, they would think about you. And I think that's the way we have to put ourselves. So when people see us outside of here, oh, because I've had people, hey, you're the comeback coach when we're at dinner at a restaurant, you know, and they're like, oh, yeah, you've helped me, you know. So I think it's what we're doing now is um, even if we just reach one person that's struggling today, and this is all worth it. Right. And each one can reach one. That's what I see is you never know how your message is resonating with people. Well, just remember, Jesus only had 12 disciples. Change the world. <laughs> That's true. So 
you know, even if it's just like we're helping each other and we'll always, and like I said, I feel that you're more family than um, some family that I actually have. I, I totally agree with that. I, I have uh, people that I talk to almost maybe not daily, but two to three times a week, whether it's a chat or Zoom or whatever, and I'm far more connected um, by soul, I think, um, than I am by blood sometimes. And yeah. I think that's true for a lot of military in particular. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Um, yes, fun. Thank, thank you so much for being here and we will be getting this released um, okay. probably in the next couple of weeks. Um, so thank you so much for being here. Yep. And any way I can help just hashtag the comeback coach. You got it.